Kia ora e tihoa me te whanau. Welcome, friends and family, to the Candid Kiwi podcast. I'm your host, Melissa, and I am the Candid Kiwi. Kia ora, thanks for being here. I always love doing my odd episodes. I realized after a few episodes that I did every odd number, which seems pretty fitting, I think, considering I'm an odd duck and a candid kiwi. So I think that this should be fun that every odd episode I can at least think is going to be me sharing a little bit more about my story. I've had mixed reviews about my story. Some people like them and some people like them less but with this podcast I'm going with my gut and my gut tells me to continue to share my story whether people like it or not and to share bits and pieces of that every odd episode until I run out of things to say and if any of you are listening to this and don't know me I think it would be very hard for me to run out of things to say. And if any of you do know me and listen to this, you're probably laughing right now and are thinking, yeah, we know Melissa. She is not going to run out of things to say. So <laughs> so in this episode, episode 9, I was thinking of doing about my hospital stays and a couple of my family's hospital stays as an immediate family and what that's done for me and the ups and downs with that. I felt good about sharing this because I know that we all have our own hospital stories, whatever they are, and I would love it if you would share with me either on Instagram, Facebook or on candidkiwipodcast at gmail.com and share with me your stories of your hospital stays and if you can relate to anything that I say today or what that has done for you and what you have learned from hospital stays in your life. Also on my podcast platform Anchor, they have almost like a message on there where you can leave me a message, an audio message, and you can tell me your story on there if you feel like it. Or you can message me on my Facebook page, Candid Kiwi, and the Candid Kiwi, I think, and you can tell me your stories on there. I would love to connect with you if you want to connect. I would love it. Some episodes I get a lot of feedback on and some I get none from and it makes me nervous but hopefully you're enjoying this ride. I'm thinking that because you're listening to this you are enjoying this ride and so let me know what you think. Let me know what we can connect about. So when I was four years old I broke my leg and this was my first experience in hospital. I was a pretty healthy person. Me and my family were pretty healthy for the most part. One of my brothers went into hospital for a long time for rheumatic fever Hayden and I remember he was down in, we were in Invercargill and he was at Kew Hospital and he was there for a long time and long time meaning, I don't know, like a week, maybe two weeks, I don't know, I'd have to ask my brother. I remember coming home after school on the weekends and we would all run, bike, whatever, down to the hospital and we'd go in and we'd visit him and I think we took him on a wheelchair and ran up and down the hallways and stuff, I think. It was probably horrible for the nurses and the doctors but... I don't remember them really telling us off. It was a long time ago, so I'd have to ask my brother, but he uh, he's doing well now. He had to have a lot of shots for a lot of years, but he's okay now and is doing really great and is a principal of a little remote school in New Zealand, so rheumatic fever hasn't held him down. When I was four years old, though, getting back to my point, I broke my leg, and we used to go on Saturday mornings and watch my auntie play softball or ref softball or umpire softball, excuse me, the word is. And one time we were with her and me and my brother Llewellyn were with her and they have this big net behind the catcher and the umpire so that if a ball goes through, it catches on the net. And there's tons of fields and tons of stuff going on with softball and so every field has a net, this huge net that they put up and it's almost like a gate, like a chain link fence type stuff that you put up and it's tall and it opened up into like a V 
and they put it up now the one that was there that particular weekend didn't have any poles holding it up so it was just opened up as a V and it was just basically like balanced like a V there right and so what did my brother and I decide that we were going to do well we decided as a four-year-old and a three-year-old that we were going to climb up the back of that fencing and my auntie was busy umpiring and she couldn't you know she couldn't keep an eye on us all the time and we we're like yeah let's climb up this fence this uh gate and so what it did is because it didn't have any poles on the back supporting it it fell on top of both of us and of course as you can imagine that stopped the game and my brother's head was bleeding really bad and i couldn't walk properly and so they rushed us to the hospital my auntie called my mum and my mum came and I remember sitting in the hospital and watching my brother get his head stitched up and that was quite traumatic and I don't know what they did to Llewellyn but he was screaming bloody murder while they were stitching his head up so did they sedate him I don't think so I don't remember him being sedated I remember him screaming the hospital down while they stitched his head up what's up with that i don't know if they put shots into his head and that's what he was screaming about but i'm pretty sure i'd have to ask llewellyn i'm pretty sure they just stitched him up cold turkey mate and i remember sitting there watching this go down thinking i'm really glad that my head didn't split open because that doesn't look like a good time right there <laughs> I'll find out from Llewellyn if he even remembers and my mum, but that was crazy, people. Can I just put that out there? That was crazy. My auntie felt really bad, but it wasn't her fault. I don't hold any animosity towards my auntie. Could have happened to anybody. Stuff happens all the time, right? And for me, they just thought I sprained my ankle. So for two weeks, I walked around on this quote-unquote sprained ankle and then one time I was getting out of the bathtub and I put all my weight on my right foot and I collapsed and I started crying and mum was like man what's wrong man she should be over the sprained ankle by now because kids heal fast right so we go into the hospital again and they take an x-ray this time on my leg don't you think they should have done that first but you know whatever so they take an x-ray of my leg well turns out from the top of my knee twisting all the way around down to my ankle is a huge crack in that bone and I'd just been walking around in it like nothing was going on can you believe that so what they did is they put a huge cast on me from my toes all the way up to the top of my thigh and I sat in that until my bone healed and that was my first time in the hospital I remember it being itchy I remember going around with crutches for a hot second but then you know kids we just start walking around just on the cast you know what I mean and kids heal pretty quick and so I healed pretty quick from that so that was my first experience in the hospital my next experience in the hospital because I haven't gotten I didn't get sick like I busted my knee in basketball like when I was 14 but I didn't go to the hospital for that my knee was just moving all over the place and they didn't deal with that properly and so I'll forever have knee problems again in my right leg because they didn't do that properly what they should have done is my ligament stretched and they should have chopped my ligament and re-sewn it so it could re-go back to new but they didn't and so my knee is forever buggered because of them not fixing it properly. Went to tons of therapy, stuff like that. But it basically stopped my sports, me being able to, I can't sprint. I have to watch when I kneel down cartwheels like basketball. That was it for basketball because basketball is a lot of stopping and turning. You know what I mean? And my knee just has never been strong enough since. And I've gotten it strong and I bike and stuff like that. But that basically, as a 14-year-old, ruined my knee for life. Sad, eh? It sucks. But then my next experience in hospital was when I had my kids. And my first kid was Masaru. And so I went into hospital to have him in Bountiful, Utah. And I had a midwife and I'm not going to go into too much detail. So don't worry, men out there who are listening to the story. I'm sure women are like, yes, tell me everything. Just tell it all to me. And men are like, uh, should I turn this off? I'll try and keep it uh, calm, guys. So don't worry. And so I go in and I have a midwife and 
she was going out of town the next week so she just started me on Pitocin because she thought you know let's get things going and Masaru wasn't interested and so I really regret can I just tell you that I regret not listening to Masaru but I was the first time mum you know what I mean and we don't know what we're doing and so well I shouldn't speak for all first-time mums I should just speak for myself and I'm gonna speak for myself and say I didn't know what I was doing okay and so for me I just did whatever the midwife told me and I wanted a midwife because in New Zealand basically that's extremely acceptable having a midwife over here kind of acceptable maybe you're a little bit of a hippie but you do you you know what I mean in New Zealand more often than not women have midwives like I think my sister was telling me something like 70% or something and so I wanted a midwife this midwife turned out to not be very good for me now I have two friends that had the same midwife and they loved her loved her so isn't that interesting I did not like her at all and they loved her so it's interesting how we have different experiences with the same people and some are bad and some are good mine's bad with this uh, midwife and consequently I never went back to her again and I was disappointed in her she started me she didn't allow my son to choose when he needed to come I think that was part of the problem I think I should have I should have allowed my body to be able to know what it was doing and do what it needed to do but instead I felt like I was bullied by this midwife to get started and I got started and Masaru wasn't ready you know what I mean so it was in labor for 24 hours and sweet Masaru was really really tired he was really tired and so after 24 hours his heart started dropping really rapidly and they had to c-section him out so they c-sectioned him out and that was my first night stay overnight stay in a hospital and it was crazy and a c-section is hard to get over because they cut into your skin and you have to recover from that and so not only was I disappointed in how my birth went but now I had a recovery of a c-section to get through and I also wasn't a strong breastfeeder and ended up starving him for about three months unbeknownst to myself and had to start him on food and formula when he was four months old. There's not really too much support for first-time mums. They tell you to come into the doctor, you know, like after a couple of weeks. But in New Zealand, like I told you, they have Tamarikiora, they have Pacifica, they have Plunkett. And all of those things are for Māori, Pacific Island and other ethnic people that what you do is you sign up and you're given a nurse. Like I said, that's what my sister does. And she comes around and she takes care of you. She comes to you in your home. She asks you, how are you doing? And checks your baby. What I would have given to have someone to come and do that for me as a first time mum. It was really, really hard. I struggled as a first-time mum. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't feel it. I didn't have the knack, as they call it, in Hunt for the Water People. I was floundering. I didn't have my mum around. I didn't have my sister around. It was... I felt really alone in that, to tell you the truth. My recovery was tough. I was sore and... Pretty much it sucked. I think looking back I had postnatal depression. Is that what it's called? Or prenatal depression? It's got post, right? Post is afterwards. I'm pretty sure I had that. I didn't really get dressed every day. Thank goodness Masaru was a good baby. He was a really good baby. He ate really well. I mean for a kid that was being starved he sure was pretty calm. He slept really well. He played really well. He was just really a patient baby with this first-time mum and he eased me into motherhood really really well and it rocked my world I'm not like a baby mum and there's baby mamas out there I know it I've seen it my sister-in-law is a baby mama and my sister is a baby mama Jessie and Sarah and they love babies love them and I don't <laughs> don't get me wrong like before I had children I didn't like anyone's babies I wasn't interested in them but after I had children 
now I like people's babies. So I'm definitely better than what I was. I'm just not that person. I just aren't super nurturing to babies, I guess. I don't want to, I hesitate saying that I'm not nurturing because I'm I think that I am in a way, but just not. With babies, it was just really, really hard for me. It was hard for me because I felt trapped. It was hard for me because I looked out and saw everybody's freedom and felt like I had none. I resented Drew and his freedom. I remember one time he was going to go out and play paintball with his brothers and I lost it. I was like, oh yeah, you get to go out and play paintball and I'm freaking sitting here like a slave to this baby. <laughs> I think hormones are running and I was young and like I said alone and I wasn't feeling it you know what I mean it was tough for me so I had to figure that out by myself you know what I mean and so I read a few books and I mean Drew didn't know what he was doing either as well as me what does he know you know like he just followed my lead and I was the leader and it was like the blind leading the blind mate and so maybe that explains some of how my sadhu is <laughs> No, just kidding. <laughs> no, he's great. I think that for me, I had to slowly figure out what I was doing. And so I did. You know, like once they turn one, my life gets way better because they can walk, they can eat, like they have more of a personality. And listen, please don't read me wrong. I loved my babies. I never shaped them. I never felt like I wanted to hurt them. I know some mothers go through that. I never, I was a good baby mother. I just didn't like it. Does that make sense? I'd rather, if I was living in a village back in the pioneer days, I would rather have a wet nurse, one of my mates like, help raise my baby and me take her a two-year-old and potty train them and be around their two-year-old to five-year-olds you know what I mean and us swap kids and stuff because I love my kids way differently it was way easier being a mother of a two-year-old than what it was being a mother of a two-month-old okay and then my next hospital visit was with obviously Yuki and I thought Drew's brother has all boys and so I thought all right well looks like I'm gonna be a mother of all boys I'm cool with that I'm not princessy I'm not makeupy I'm not dress upy I'm not designery <laughs> so I thought if I had to choose one sex I would rather it be boys so I was fine with being a mother of all boys we go to the sonogram of uh, second pregnancy. Lo and behold, it's a girl. Now, you could have knocked me over with a feather, mate. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what? It's a girl. And I was, like, blown over. But they stripped that moment away from me because they said, you've also got a cyst in your body on your left ovary the size of a softball. I'm like, excuse me? I'm like, so what does that mean? And all the sonogram person said to me was, these are great questions for your doctor. These are great questions for your doctor. So I was like, wait a second, so you're not going to answer any of my questions about this huge cyst that's in me with my baby girl? No, they're not going to answer it. I was like, what? So I had two huge emotions. One, you're having a girl. Two, you got a huge cyst in you. We don't know what kind of cyst. It could be the cyst that will overtake your whole insides. It could be a cyst that we could get rid of or it could go get rid of itself. Walked away. All these questions, all unanswered. Found out I had a girl. So it was up and down, you know what I mean? So when I gave birth to Yuki, I had a decision to make. And my doctor told me that I had a 50-50 shot of being able to give birth naturally and versus a c-section he said your time to do it will be this one because you can have one c-section and still give birth naturally and so I had a huge decision to make he said but beware that we're going to have to go in and get that cyst anyway so my advice would be for you to just have a c-section and I need to tell you guys that was a really really tough decision for me because I had planned my life out, giving birth naturally and breastfeeding until my kid was 18 months old. And that didn't work out for me, okay? I struggled with breastfeeding Masaru. And I struggled with all of my kids, to be honest. And I felt like a failure. And that's something that, obviously, I'm still a little bit emotional about. But it's funny, you know, how we have these plans and how we have things that we can do and or think we can do and then it ends up 
working out differently and figuring out what to do with that. I couldn't breastfeed for longer than, I think my longest was Emiko and that was five months and that all, was all I could do and I tried tons of stuff. With Yuki we moved to New Zealand when she was 11 weeks old and so I tried stuff in New Zealand none of it worked. I, fr I tried natural stuff. I tried stuff from the doctors to try and help my feeding to be able to last longer and it didn't. So I kind of feel like that, I, I kind of feel like a failure in that area and that's something that I've had to work through because I tried my hardest to be able to do that and I couldn't do it. And it was just kind of like one blow after another and I was just like, man, what is going on? And so I really wanted to be able to give birth naturally and to be able to feel what that felt like. And at the end of the day, I wasn't able to do that. And so Yuki was another C-section. And this meant that all the rest of my babies were going to have to be C-section. And so the end of a dream had closed for me and I had to deal with it. And it was really tough because... I felt like a failure. I felt like a failure in my birthing experience, a failure in my feeding experience. So I was a hot mess. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe because I'm an empath, I take all of this stuff too seriously. I don't know if anyone out there feels the same way with anything in their life where they felt as if they could do stuff and then it didn't work out and they felt like a failure. I'm not sure what your feelings are about that and how you got through that, but it kind of sucked. And so I, they took Yuki out and then they went in and they looked at my cyst. Now before I went in for my C-section with Yuki, they asked me, they're like, can you sign this piece of paper that says we can remove your uterus if things get bad during the C-section? And I said, what? I said, I'm not signing that. And they're like, oh, well you have to. And I'm like, I don't have to do jack crap, homie. I'm not signing something that gives you permission to take my uterus. So why don't you get the hell out of here and we'll see you later, mate. And I'm in the middle of going through contractions because I refuse to set a date for my C-sections because I didn't want to do the same thing with Masaru to my other kids. I wanted, if I had to have a C-section and I couldn't feed them properly, I wanted to succeed in something in my eyes back then in my 20s. And so I decided, I'm not giving you a date for a C-section. I'm going to allow my babies to come when they feel like it. And so they don't recommend that, but my OBGYN was really good about it. And he's like, okay, sounds good. Just let us know when you start contracting and we'll go from there. So I'm like, thanks. And I really liked him, you know. I really liked him a lot. He was really, really good. And so Yuki decided when she wanted to come. And so she came. And so I was contracting. So it was kind of a bad time for them to ask me, hey, can we take a uterus? <laughs> so I'm like, no, get out of here. And so they're like, well, we can't proceed. So I'm like, I don't care. I'm contracting right now and I'm going to have this baby. So you do whatever you want, but you're not taking my uterus. And if any of you out there know me, know that, yep, I can see Melissa saying this. <laughs> anyway, so my doctor comes in and he's like, listen, Melissa, I'm not going to take your uterus, okay? Like, it's going to be all right. If you sign this, I promise you that I won't take your uterus if you don't want me to. And I'm like, are you sure? He's like, I promise. And I trusted him, so I signed it. So we're in there, and he's looking at my cyst. And it's the kind of cyst that will encroach your whole body until you have to have a hysterectomy. My auntie got it, so I don't know if it's hereditary, but her cyst was the size of like a human head, and they had to take that out. So I think that's the kind that I had. And it totally encroached my left ovary. Now, I get kind of crazy when I'm in hospital or if there's a life or death situation going on. I kind of go a bit mental. And so you're in there, and I don't know if you know what it's like with a C-section, but you're on the table, you're in the crucifix pose, they've got you strapped to the bed, so you can't move, which is fair enough, but you kind of feel vulnerable, let's put it like that, and they've got the sheet up, and they tell me, okay, so we're going to have to remove your left ovary, because the cyst is encroaching over your whole ovary, and so we're going to have to remove it, and I'm like, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm like, no, you're not removing it. And so the doctor's like, okay. And he's like, he was really, really good. And he's probably worked with many, many women. I'm sure I'm not the only crazy woman he's had in the hospital <laughs> over his years of working. And he's like, okay, what if I show Drew and explain it to him and I said okay because I didn't trust anyone in the room I only trusted Drew because I thought Drew's the only person here that really cares if I live or die this is what I'm thinking guys a little bit of an insight into my head <laughs> anyway so they show Drew and the doctor's explaining to Drew he's like look see how it's encroached here we can't actually take it off without taking that it was really bad blah 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 so Drew comes over to me he's not a doctor he's just my husband but he's the only person that I'll listen to and so he comes over and they're doing all this talking while I'm there because the only thing between me and that doctor is half a meter and a sheet and so <laughs> I can hear everything anyway so Drew comes back over and he's like babe and I'm like what and he's like I looked at it and it looks as if they're going to have to take your ovary. And I'm like, why? And he's like, well, it's a, and he explained it to me what the doctor said. And I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, do you think I should do it? He's like, yeah, I do. And so they did because I trusted Drew. Crazy, right? I trusted Drew over a doctor. And the doctor was way cool about it. So they removed my ovary. So I'm like, oh, no, now I can't have babies. But it turns out, fun scientific fact... If one ovary is removed, the other ovary produces double the amount of hormones and produces an egg a month. So instead of every other month, it knows that the other ovary is not there and it starts doing its job for it. Aren't our bodies amazing? I had no idea. And so I was really, really grateful for that. And when I met with the doctor a couple of weeks later, he's like, okay, I need to check your uterus and ovaries. And I'm like, you took one of my ovaries He's like, I did? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, okay. These guys, they see so many people, I realized. They don't even remember. Super traumatic for me. Not a big deal to him. <laughs> I guess in a way that's good because he doesn't remember anything. I was scared that I couldn't have any more babies. So it turns out I started trying, got pregnant straight away with Takeshi. And his birth was the same. I allowed him to choose when he wanted to come and then had a C-section after he chose to come and was in labor. And that went, you know, normal. And as normal as what it could be. I, again, struggled with Takeshi and feeding Takeshi and Yuki, but that was just the story that I had. Yuki was very different from Masaru. She needed to be more busy. Takeshi needed to be moving and then he was a great baby. They all slept really well. Emiko, when I got pregnant with her, I wanted to allow her, I wanted, I was in Boise and I wanted to allow her to choose when she came and the doctor said, well you've had three c-sections, you have a chance of rupturing and bleeding out if you allow her to if you contract go into um if you start contracting and I was like I'll be okay I'll be all right I don't care but Drew piped up the fourth baby and he was like well I care turns out I care <laughs> so we've got a mate and his name is uh Chris he was Drew's high school buddy and he's an OBGYN and so Drew talked to him and he was like, what would you do if this was your wife? We talked to him. He, we happened to see him in Utah. And he was like, he's a really nice guy. And he looked at me and he's like, you're not going to hear what I have to say, Melissa. But if it was my wife, I wouldn't let her contract. And I was like, yeah, but I'm going to be okay. And so I had to take in Drew's feelings with that and scheduled Emiko for a c-section so she was my only kid that didn't get to choose when to come meanwhile i'm feeling like the biggest failure on the planet but you know whatever what's new right and so we go and schedule c-section right in the morning it was a leap year that year so they asked if i wanted to schedule her on leap day and i was like that was a lot of pressure guys can i just put that out there like that's her whole life She's going to be born on leap year, you know, like, I don't know, 
if she would think that was cool or not. I'm unsure. I'm sorry, Emiko, if you wanted to be born on leap year. I couldn't handle that pressure, so I chose not to do it on the leap day. You know what I mean? It was it was too much pressure for me and I folded like origami. So I give birth to her. Well, it turns out when the baby's contracting, that squeezes out liquid that's in their little bodies. And when you schedule a C-section and they just take them, that doesn't give the baby a chance to squeeze out all the liquid. Now, nobody told me this, okay? So I'm in the hospital recovering. I've got a huge rash, like, from the sheets and the bed and stuff. It wasn't a good time. Anyway, so... I'm in there and Emiko starts choking and I'm like whoa and I and I can't move because I just had a c-section like I can't move the like the lower part of my body is paralyzed right and I don't know if you've ever been paralyzed before for a certain amount of time but you can't like she was right beside me in the hospital bed she was like right there and I couldn't reach her and she was choking and I didn't know what was going on. Gosh, I need to, I promised myself I wouldn't get emotional. That was a stupid promise. Anyway, so she's choking. I can't reach her. I'm calling the nurse's button. You know what I mean? And I'm watching my child choke, helpless, not knowing what's going on. The nurse comes in and she says to me, and I'm freaking out, and the nurse isn't coming fast enough, and this isn't a diss on nurses, I know you're all busy and stuff, but to me this was a big deal. The nurse comes in, and she doesn't treat me very well, and she tells me, what's your problem, basically, like this is nothing. And then she helps her, and I wasn't made to feel very good, and so I banned her from coming in my room and asked for another nurse. And the nurse explained to me what was going on and helped me to be able to reach my Emiko if that happened again. And how am I supposed to know this? The reason why I was a little bit sensitive was because in her birth, I had a really horrible person so in a room, when you're getting a C-section, there's a whole bunch of people there. There's the doctor, there's helpers for the babies, and then there's the person that's injecting the paralyzing formula into your back. So there's that person. And for the moment, I'm forgetting what their names are, but they're, you know what I'm talking about. It's the doctor that injects the paralyzing medicine into your back, the spinal tap that they do, or whatever you call it, that guy. And... He was horrible to me. So I'm on the table, strapped down in the crucifix pose. They're taking Emiko. He puts in this stuff into me, and I don't know if he put in too much or what was going on, but it goes all the way up to my chest, and I can't breathe properly. So it feels like I have an elephant sitting on my chest, and I'm strapped in, and I can't move, and I start panicking. And this little short man who's in charge of it, comes up to me and he says, what's your problem? And I said to him, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And I'm panicking and Drew's trying to help me. And he said, you're just fine, just breathe properly. I didn't do anything wrong. You're just fine, just breathe. And treated me horribly. If I could remember who this man is, I would like to punch him in the face. <laughs> he was horrible. Horrible. And so I'm not getting any help from this man. I can't breathe. You feel sick. Drew can't do anything. So I have to try not to panic, go into a panic attack. So I have to try and calm myself down so that I'm okay for Emiko. It's really a crazy feeling. It's super, super helpless. So that's super fun. And also when I gave birth to Emiko, so I had that happen. And then I had me thinking I was going to watch my baby die happen. And then I had this rash from the sheets. I was a hot mess, guys. And I had these two nurses. I remember I had these two nurses and I was in... I wasn't doing too good and I had to learn how to walk 
you, they have to get you up and walking again. And these two nurses help me to walk and they walk you to the toilet and stuff like that and you're just a mess, right? And these nurses are helping me. You're at your most vulnerable and I was apologizing to these nurses. I'm like, listen, I'm sorry that you have to do all of this. This is, I'm just a mess. This is horrible. And the nurse said to me, she said, it's our honor to help you. We are honored to be here with you, helping you as a mom giving birth to your daughter. And they set me at ease. And so I had one nurse and doctor make me feel like an idiot. And I had these other two nurses make me feel special, relaxed, honored, and calm. Isn't that interesting? So if you are a doctor or a nurse out there, hopefully you will choose to be the latter. Because those two nurses were amazing to me. And they meant it. They were like, we love doing this. We love you. We love your baby. We love being here and experiencing this as you. This is amazing. And that helped me a ton. And so I had an up and down experience in the hospital that time. I was able to leave feeling happy about most of the nurses apart from that one. Most of them were really, really good. And like I said, my doctor was really good as well. He was great. So that went well in Boise. She's my only Boise-born baby. Whew. So... My next experience in a hospital was breaking my collarbone. So we were in Pocatello and we were mountain biking and we were mountain biking this amazing trail in Pocatello. It was awesome. And I remember climbing like 1700 feet vert and going through these beautiful paddocks with these yellow flowers. And then finally the time had come and it was the downhill. And so we were doing the downhill. I remember coming down our uh, part of it and I remember it being awesome. There wasn't much that I remembered after that. So after that, I must have crashed and broke my collarbone. And I must have been knocked out, but I don't think I was knocked out for too long. And I remember bits and pieces. I remember getting back on my bike and biking down the trail and seeing... David. Now he took one look at me and he was like, uh, I don't know what's going on here. And thank goodness he had gotten a flat tire. So I had caught up to him and he told me to sit down on the side of the trail until he had gotten in contact with Drew and Drew had already taken off enjoying his DH dreams downhill dreams and he was at the bottom so David went down to the bottom and got Drew and made him come back up because I guess I was telling David that my shoulder was sore and I have a video of it so I'll try to post up the video to Facebook or to my blog so that you can see it and I have like a two minute or a one minute or a couple of 10 second or whatever memory. You should see this video. Drew's still got it, so I'll grab it so you guys can watch it. But you can tell that my shoulder, that my collarbone's broken, and I must have hit my head pretty hard because I couldn't remember what year it was or month it was, I don't think. I couldn't remember much. But I remembered who Drew was. I just didn't know who anyone else was. So thank goodness I had my long-term memory, right? Because then that's a problem. Anyway, so there happens to be these people that are on the trail or around or close I can't remember and they had a four-wheeler or something or a motorbike so they come back up and they grab me and I just I remember wanting to go to sleep on this guy's back and he kept talking to me to try and keep me awake and there was an ambulance waiting for me I guess down at the end of the trail and so I go in this ambulance and I'm thinking please don't let my collarbone be broken because that's what they're talking about but I just remember bits and pieces so we're in the hospital sure enough I've broken my collarbone but they haven't said it or anything and I'll put up a photo of my collarbone broken as well and I was in a sling and then eventually they put a like a not a rod but just a piece of metal on the top of it with seven screws so that it could fix my collarbone in place and I still have that to this day in my collarbone and my right collarbone all of this happens on my right side guys like my knee my foot everything 
that uh, was a slow recovery and then I'm, I, I slowly healed. One thing that I find is if I do what I'm told by the doctors, then I seem to recover a lot faster. But it's really hard to do what you're told by the doctors because you want to recover even faster than what you think uh, you can. So it's this fine balance between exercising enough but being patient enough, taking enough drugs but not too much drugs to be able to have that happen. And so I'll make sure I put up that video and that picture of my collarbone and how crazy that was. I didn't really remember that so that was good. What I do know is that I had to change helmets because that helmet was smashed so I had to get a new helmet. <laughs> and then because I did that that year I had a really bad bunion in my foot and so I decided to go in that Christmas and to get my bunion fixed so they cracked my bone down in my right foot again on the right side and they put in three screws in my bunion down there and straightened it up and so now I have three screws in my foot and seven screws in my collarbone all on my right side. Drew actually also has videos of my recovery out of my bunion surgery in hospital and I'm as high as a kite guys. I am as high as a kite and I'll probably put those videos up up on my blog as well for you to have a little bit of fun with and there's one thing I'd like to shout out to my husband Drew and he really knows when to take photos and when to take videos I don't do that I'm in the moment not taking photos but Drew looks at you in a vulnerable situation and he's like this needs to be recorded this is what I need to record I should be taking pictures and recordings of this right now <laughs> And he's not wrong, I guess, right? He's not wrong because now you have the privilege of seeing me in vulnerable moments that will be for your entertainment. So thank you, Drew, question mark, I guess, right? And then another incident with the hospital was when my son Masaru was in fifth grade. We were at having Christmas and the night before Christmas that year, he wasn't feeling good. He was throwing up and he was having throwing up out of both ends and things weren't working out well. And so after five days, we took him to the doctor in Utah and they said, oh, he, I think he has the stomach flu. No, after three days, I think, or two days, we took him to the doctor. They said, we think he has the stomach flu. And so we're going to recommend that he just wait it out. If it's longer than five days, then it's probably get him in and get him tested so he's miserable he's miserable and he's not doing well and we take him home we're back from uh, Utah and I send him to school and he seems like he's doing pretty good like all of a sudden he starts feeling better for a couple of days and then one day he's at school and the nurse calls him and he's like listen man your kid has a fever he needs to come home I'm like all right so he comes home by this time Masaru's lost like 10 pounds and for a fifth grader that's a lot of weight he looked like a skeleton and so I'm like okay I'm going to take him to the doctor so I take him to the doctor he does his bloods he calls calls me and he's like listen if this was my kid I'll get him to the ER straight away his white blood cell count isn't looking good at all and I didn't know what that meant all I knew that I remember my sister telling me that that's how she or one of the th things that she found out that her daughter had leukemia and my sister went through a couple of years of her daughter having leukemia and so I was freaking out I was like Masaru's got cancer this is gonna be horrible blah 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 Drew's like settle down let's just wait until they tell us what's going on so we take him into the ER he has to drink this special drink that lights up his insides it's disgusting and he can't hardly do it so they said if you can't do that then we're gonna have to shove a hose up your nose and into your stomach and pump that into you so that gave him more motivation to drink that drink but he still couldn't do it I don't know why wouldn't you choose the drink anyway I have to talk to Masato about that anyway so they shoved this thing in his nose poor Masato it was horrible they light up his insides and I'll put up a picture of this they found out that he had this massive massive ball that was protecting of stuff that was protecting the rest of his body now what happened is it was Masaru's appendix and his appendix was getting really bad like back at Christmas right and then those couple of days when he felt good his appendix had burst right and so then he felt good 
But then what happened with it bursting, there was this total gross stuff going around in his body. So what did his body decide to do? His body decided to encapture all of that gross stuff and keep it in a nice, neat, safe little pouch. And so this pouch was the size of, again, a softball that was his whole middle section. And had that burst, he would have went septic. And I was like, what? And so they ran him upstairs to puncture that bag of grossness and to drain it out of his body. Now they said that they have children in the hospital weekly who have their appendix birth. They said usually when they drain it, it's about 2,500 cc's or 25 cc's. I don't know what it is. Masaru's was 500 or 50 or whatever the, the whatever the thing is you'll know out there medical people they said you heard it puncture in the room it stunk and it released and it was crazy now can i just put out there guys how grateful i am that that didn't happen otherwise i don't know if we would have masaru right now anyway so he was in the hospital for a while for about four or five days and he had all the stuff coming in and out of him. He had lost a bunch of weight, but now he was starting to be on the up and up. They pumped him with a ton of antibiotics and it was tough for him as a little child. It was really hard and I stayed with him the whole time. I couldn't leave him. Like I said, I'm crazy. Like, I don't know what I'm like, but I guess I'm crazy. I couldn't leave him. I couldn't leave him. And Drew's like, have some rest. I'll stay with him. I couldn't even do that. I was like, I can't. I can't. I have to be with him. Drew's like, all right, whatever you want to do, you know. He's not going to miss. <laughs> He's not going to mess with that. So Drew's taking care of everything else, as well as my church. My church came in. They took out after everything else. Meals, cleaning, everything. And I tell you, if you've got a community on your back and a circle of people that are there for you, they are everything, right? And if you don't have any, find some. Or talk to me and I'll try and find you some. <laughs> and so I'm in hospital with Masaru. He's waking up at midnight and asking for me. I'm there. This is why I can't leave him. Because when he was waking up, not knowing where the hell he was, he was asking for me. I'll be damned if I wasn't going to be there for him. Let's just put it that way. Anyway, the nurses were great. His care was really good. They eased our minds. They were fantastic. But here's the thing. Once he got home... He still needed these antibiotics and this medication and stuff in him every four to six hours. So we had to have a nurse come to our house and teach us how to do this. And we had to make sure it was clean and we had to make sure we did every single step perfectly or because he had this pick line straight into around his heart. And so it was really important for us to be able to make sure that we did this properly so these people came to our house they taught us how to do it they gave us all the meds and everything and we were on our own helping Masaru with the rest of this stuff and Masaru he was on some pretty hard drugs and he was having nightmares from these drugs and so I had to scale it back enough for him to stop getting nightmares but an, but also give him enough so that he wasn't in pain and it was really a tough time and I don't know if you've ever witnessed your child in pain and there's nothing you can do about it but it's really hard okay and so my Saru said that the nightmares were like he was being he said that he felt as if something was coming into his body and, and taking over his body and he felt that was the nightmare. And obviously that was the drugs going into his body, but to him when he's sleeping, that felt like a nightmare because it's cold when it goes in you. So my guess is it was something to do with that. And I had lost it. I had had enough. I didn't want to lose him. I was getting up at nights and so was Drew, you know, but it was mostly me because he had work and it was hard for me. And I remember, and this might sound crazy and you guys can judge me, but I remember calling out to Heavenly Father and begging him for help. And I remember calling out to my father who's passed on and begging him for help and I remember saying to my father I said listen I don't care what you're doing on the other side this is the most important thing for you to be doing right now so you're gonna have to tell heavenly father that whatever it is that he's got you doing as a mission on the other side of the veil you're gonna have to stop and you're gonna have to help your grandchild because I can't do it all and I said to my dad I need you 
to protect my son and I need you to protect your grandson. I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to leave him in your hands and the Lord's hands and I need you to make sure that he stops having nightmares. Basically asked the Lord and my father to be with Masaru. He never had another nightmare since. After that day that I pleaded with the Lord and my father, he didn't have another nightmare. And he recovered and he did great. It was a long recovery and it was a horrible recovery. His incision kept getting infected so they had to go, I had to take him back into hospital and they had to repuncture a hole in him and they had to re-put this little fabric in him that so he could heal from the inside out and then he got infected again and they wouldn't believe me and I said listen he's infected again and the doctor was like I can't believe he's infected again I don't know what went wrong and I'm like yeah well it's going wrong so you need to make sure he stops getting infected so whatever you're doing figure it out and so I remember Masaru in there on the table and her just going at it and he was in pain and again it's really hard guys to see your kid in pain and you not to be able to do anything. It took him about six months for him to trust his body again. He took a lot of showers. That's why Masaru takes uh, showers when he is sore or not feeling good because he learned that in fifth grade. Showers made him feel better and that was the habit that he got in. Uh, I guess it was that hot water that helped him to be able to relax. Anyway, so eventually after about six months he could start trusting his body again and bouncing back on the tramp and now he's got a full recovery and he's playing rugby and doing great another incident was when Takeshi uh, split his chin open he crashed on his bike at a mountain bike race and he split his chin wide open but thank goodness he was wearing a full face helmet and he got no rocks in his chin and we raced him into the doctor's trailer that they have there and they stitched him up it was horrible it was horrible Takeshi was screaming it was horrible I it was horrible for me to witness I should have told Drew to sit there but again I'm compelled to stay with my children it was horrible I regret staying with him I should have had Drew stay with him but I can't help myself I don't know what to tell you now the last story I'm going to tell you is when Drew fell off the ladder and that's the last time that we've been to the hospital and hopefully the last time we'll ever be at the hospital I highly doubt it but hopefully it's the last time in a long long time Drew was building this massive shop now in New Zealand my brothers and sisters told me when you say shop we think shop like you should say like workshop or like garage or like massive garage or something so for the Kiwis out there listening to me Drew built a massive workshop off the side of our house so we have a garage for our car we have a shed for our lawnmower and we have a shop that's dedicated to Drew's crafting and so Drew was building the shop and he was up on a ladder he was about 12-15 feet up on the ladder and it was on unstable ground but Drew's never had an accident doing construction before in his life so you know he had just finished a mountain bike ride thought he would he's a really hard worker he works you know on stuff all the time and he thought I'm just going to work on this and Yuki happened to be having her birthday party so there was about 10 kids in the neighborhood around at the time anyway I'm reading my book inside Yuki runs in and she said I don't know if dad's playing a joke on us but he's lying down on the ground and he's got his eyes closed and I'm like what so we run out there and Drew's on the ground and the ladder's on the ground and he's not doing well like he's still awake thank goodness but he's out of it like he's totally out of it and one of the girls said screamed and said Yuki said scream because she saw him fall off the ladder and so fortunately we had a neighbor whose brother happened to be in town who's a doctor and all the kids were gathered around me and Drew and I was saying, Drew, 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 hey, 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 are you okay? And I told the kids, give me a pillow. So I put Drew's head underneath a pillow, but I didn't move it much because I didn't know if his neck was broken, his back, like what, you know what I mean? But he was moving and I was feeling him and stuff and he seemed like he was okay. So good old me, I'm like, well, I'm just going to take him inside and he can just like sleep it off, right? <laughs> he'd just fallen off from 12 15 feet and I'm like that dude can sleep it off and he obviously wasn't doing well and I'm like and you want to know why I thought that 
The reason why I thought that, guys, is because I knew it would cost our family $6,000 if he went to the hospital. So it was money motivated. Now, if we was in New Zealand, if we were in New Zealand, not a problem. My sister, when her daughter was going through leukemia, she wasn't sitting in hospital like how I was sitting in hospital with Masaru wondering, how are we going to pay for this? No, she was sitting in hospital thinking, how can I support my child? And I don't know what the solution to this, guys, but it's not fair that parents and people should have to worry about whether or not to take their family members and loved ones to hospital because of how much it costs. It's not fair. Like I said, I don't have a solution for it because people are against socialized medicine, and but our, our system is messed up here. And so I'm like, we can't afford it. I'm not taking him to the doctor. Fortunately, our friend who was the doctor in the back, he came out, he checked her over. He said, we're going to the doctor straight away. We're going to the hospital straight away. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> now, while I was there taking care of Drew, I was calm, cool, collected because I knew that I had to be that way because all of these kids were standing around looking. I couldn't be freaking out. So I was calm, you know, and everything was good. And I like that about myself. It's good to know that I can keep it calm when I need to and then go off in the corner and cry when no one's watching. So he takes charge. He's like, I'm going to drive you to the hospital. We're doing this. So I'm like, oh, okay, sounds good. So my village... My peeps, they take care of taking the kids home and take care of staying the night at my family's house. So we go into the hospital and they take all these x-rays and MRIs or whatever you want to call them of Drew's head and his spine to make sure that he's okay. Now the doctor friend that we have, Ben uh, Naisman, he is, I'm probably going to get this wrong, I'm pretty sure he's a radiologist, so he reads x-rays and he reads these things. So he said to them, I want to come in and I want to read this. They're like, oh yeah, okay, that sounds good. So I'm in the hospital with Drew. They've got him in this neck brace. They're cutting off his favorite mountain bike shirt, which he was super pissed about. And he, we ended up sending it to his sister and she Frankensteined it back together. I didn't wash it, so it still stunk of BO because he had been mountain biking and... <laughs> his sister she sewed it up and sent it back and so now he's still mountain bikes in that top <laughs> but they were gonna throw it out and they looked at me and they're like do you want this top and I'm like yeah I want that top that's his favorite top so if you see Drew mountain biking in a rust colored Frankenstein looking top that's the top <laughs> I could take a picture of it and show you guys if you want anyway and so he was in hospital and our friend comes to us and he says listen I saw a brain bleed. I'm like, what? So in our church, we believe that you can get blessings from people who hold the priesthood. I don't know if uh, people know too much out there about Latter-day Saint culture. Look it up, I guess. And so this guy happened to, Ben happened to be a member of our church and he happened to hold the priesthood and he gave Drew a blessing, which was great. And so it turns out they come in and they tell me, so your husband's got two brain bleeds. One's in the front right hand and then the other one is the back and it's probably in the back of his head. And it's probably because he ricocheted down or something. He doesn't remember Harry Four. I didn't see it. They don't know. They're just telling us what's going on. So it turns out, did you know that if you get a brain bleed, when it recovers and heals itself, that part of the brain that bleeds goes missing forever? That's just a hole in your brain, like the size of a pea. Like it's just gone from Drew's brain. And so you never know what that's going to do or how that's going to affect someone. So Drew's in the hospital and he's going crazy. And he is just going mental. You know what I mean? And he's not who he is. And so he's trying to rip out the lines that they've put in him. A nurse went up to him and she's like, listen, you can't do this. And Drew looked at her and he's like, stop yelling at me. And I'm just like, whoo, whoo. Is this the new Drew? Because I don't know if I can handle this. I'm going to have to wait it out a year and then have to divorce him. I can't be with this guy. Because <laughs> he was not himself. And I kept telling the doctors, I kept telling them, I'm like, listen, this isn't my husband. This isn't how he normally acts. He's usually like super cool, chill, yoga instructor type chill. And they're like, that's good to know because that means it's his brain. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking, is he going to stay this way? And he, guys, can I just tell you, he did the best projectile vomit that I've ever seen in real life. He just sat up on that bed and 
he just it was like a tsunami of vomit i've never seen anything before and since it was spectacular and this dedicated person came in and he just cleaned it up i can't even clean up my own kids vomit without throwing up and this guy came in cleaned it all up drew's throwing up like every 10 minutes and he's trying to yank everything out and he's being a pearl and they finally said to me they're like hey do you think that you could help maybe talk to him and help him like not pull that stuff out so I'm like all right so I go up to Drew and I'm like hey babe 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 he's like what what I'm like you need to stop pulling your stuff out he's like but I don't like it and I'm like I know but you need to stop pulling it out for me okay he's like all right and that's the only thing that stopped him from pulling it out and I think to myself why don't you turn to the wife and ask her to do that before guys how come you pushed me to the side and didn't make me involved until you were like super desperate like why don't you pull the wife in straight away and get her to help but you know I'm not a doctor I don't know the protocol whatever I had to put it up on Instagram like half the neighborhood knew and I didn't want Drew's family and friends finding out from some random person so I'm like the best way to do this is I got to put this up on Instagram boom everyone knows at the same time they're done so we get um, Drew up into another room he has to have a person sit in the same room with him in case he gets up and keeps freaking out you know what I mean and they have to keep him awake for six hours to make sure that his brain so they can test him again so his brain doesn't bleed to see that his brain doesn't continue to bleed by this time the first type of hospital that they put us in they don't do head trauma so we had to take an ambulance and get pulled to the other hospital that does a better job of head trauma and I'm thinking to myself I said can't I just take it myself there's less a thousand dollars on my ticket for ambulance they're like no you can't do it I should have pushed it more and I should have just taken him whatever hashtag regrets anyway and so we're in this hospital we're upstairs there's someone else with him turns out his brain has stopped bleeding that he's okay that it's recovering but the person stays in the room just in case he gets up and starts freaking out turns out he goes to sleep he's just fine I get some sleep the next morning we wake up Drew looks around and he's like whoa what happened this can't be good and I'm like yeah bro you fell off a ladder you fell off a ladder and you have two brain bleeds he's like what and so we had to explain to him about that I'm talking to people on the phone like everyone wants to know I'm repeating the same story copying pasting the same text like to everybody because people want to know you know what I mean and so I'm trying to do the best that I can with all of that stuff we've got the neuro person comes in he tells me I don't have to operate things look okay he can go home today I'm like what he has something to eat we're not even in the hospital for 24 hours. Dude's got two brain bleeds. He's um, released, you know, and the release was crazy. Like, they just let us go. So I walked out of the hospital, didn't know where I was going, left Drew looking like a homeless dude in a gown at the front, went, got the car and took him home. It was crazy. It was really bad, St. Alphonsus. You have a really bad release system. It was not good. You just no one helped us nothing whereas at St Luke's people helped us out sat off on just like yeah get out of our room we'll see you later nobody helped us it was crazy anyway that stress drew out he wasn't okay with that and uh so Drew wasn't very happy with me doing that anyway so we go home they say he can't do anything on his phone watch tv read nothing for like a couple of weeks and that was really really hard so Drew needed people to visit him and talk to him because he or talk to him on the phone and so that's when you know who your true peeps are and his buddy Pugs he lives in Utah and he came up for the day on the Sunday the next day. He drove four and a half, five hours with his two kids, sat, chilled out for Drew for a couple of hours, and then went home all that day. Now that's dedication, right? And shout out to Pugs. And so we had people look after us. We had meals, dinners, visits. We had people helping us out with shopping, everything. We had people taking me out, like my mate Ashley. Joseph came, like I was telling you when I interviewed Joseph. All of my friends helped me out in some way or another with my children, with my house, with visiting Drew, with dinners, with moral support, like my family, my friends, my people, and they know who they are. And this is everything. Can I just tell you that?
Now, did it cost around six to seven grand? Yeah, you betcha. And I have to tell you that I'm really, really lucky that we have that in our savings so that that doesn't destroy us because there's some people and families out there that if this had happened to them it would destroy them because they are not on much money. It was really really tough because A I could have lost Drew and B his recovery was he going to be the same? Was I going to have the same husband? Was he going to be able to keep working? Was he going to be handicapped? Is he going to be okay? Turns out he's okay. Turns out he made a full recovery. Turns out he did everything the doctors told him to do in his recovery and I told him to do it as well and we helped and he recovered and his work, he works with Simplot and they were amazing to him. And they allowed him to take all the time he needed. They took up his role. They were amazing to him. I mean, honestly, it couldn't have been any better unless someone paid our medical bill for us. <laughs> so it was really, really good. And so far, I don't see any repercussions from Drew falling off that ladder about a year or two ago, a year and a half ago. And he doesn't get he didn't get any migraines he didn't get any headaches like nothing can I tell you how amazing our bodies are and that is probably Drew's seventh uh, concussion like how many concussions can one man have until he's dead I don't know don't want to find out I need Drew to be around but that was that was really tough but I drew strength and the support that I got from my people and the ups far outweighed the downs and I'm completely 100% grateful that I had everybody helping me in that situation that I did and that Drew is 100% okay because it might not have been like that and I've heard horror stories about how people hit their head and a lot worse happens to them and so I can't tell you enough how grateful I am that my husband is okay so that's it that's it that's all I got that's all she wrote so do you have a hospital story that you want to tell me about? Was there anything in any of this that you can relate to? Let me know and, and, and I'll put up those pictures of those videos and some pictures of our hospital stays on my blog and on Instagram and Facebook so you guys can tune in there and see. Appreciate you being here for my ninth episode. I know it's long. What can I say? I just like to talk. I've got a lot to say. Whenever I come in here, I always think, oh yeah, this one's only going to be 15, 20 minutes, next minute. It's like tons and tons of time. So I apologize for that, but I'm grateful for you guys being here with me. And I'm excited for my next 10th episode. And I'm excited for you to meet who I'm going to have on the uh, Candid Kiwi. So until next time, my Candid Kiwi peeps, I will see you later. Kakiti ano, aui koutou.